Well, before we go any further this morning, I just need to stop and announce, spoiler alert. Perhaps you're familiar with this phrase. It's a term that's been coined to refer to the announcement that you should give when you're about to ruin a critical plot line of a movie or a book. In these days when we no longer watch TV together, uh, when it airs live on cable, we record things. You've got to announce spoiler alert. Maybe people haven't seen the show. For instance, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie Titanic, the boat hits an iceberg and they all die. Spoiler alert, Darth Vader, Luke's father. Yep. Princess Leia, yeah, yeah, Luke kissed his sister. Spoiler alert, so at the end of the new Black Panther movie, you've seen it right. This, oh, oh, okay. Well, I haven't seen it either, so I don't want to spoil it for myself either. But I felt after hearing Betsy read the gospel story today and essentially ruin the season of Lent for us, that it should have read spoiler alert as we began. Did, did you catch it right there? Right there. Second Sunday of Lent, the gospel of John ruins the ending. Curious about this Judas character? Well, no worries. He's about to betray Jesus, we're told, even before it happens. And in case you have any sympathy for Jesus, this, or for Judas, this misdirected character, think again. He's been stealing from the common purse for years. Plot lines just ruined right there. But on this night, as Jesus gathers with his closest friends, with Mary and Martha and even Lazarus, on this night in Bethany, no one knows how it's going to end. Not for sure. Today, today they have hope and you can sense the joy as they gather in this home. Today, the story isn't finished. Though you can feel the storm clouds gathering just moments before this text, we learn that the religious leaders are plotting against Jesus, organizing their opposition. Jesus, well, he's going to be okay, right? Just a couple chapters before they tried to stone him and he just passed through the crowd. He's been in situations like this before. He can walk on water. He can walk out of anything. Jesus is going to be okay, right? And that's when Mary comes back into the dining room. We didn't even see her get up from the table. She quietly left and she enters again with this lost, almost terrified look in her eyes like she's looked death in the face. And then the plot twists. Mary takes this pound of costly perfume made of pure nard. It's expensive. And she anoints Jesus' feet with it. She wipes them with her hair. The house is filled with the fragrance of this perfume. What is going on? Now, maybe you remember seeing this episode before, but perhaps you remember the details a bit different. This is one of those few stories in the Gospel of John that actually shows up in the other three Gospels. Except John's story, well, like normal, John's a bit different. When Mark tells us the story, he sets the story in Bethany, just like John does. But all of this happens at the home of a guy named Simon, Simon the leper. When Matthew tells the story, the details are pretty much the same. Luke tells us that it all happens at Simon's house, but Simon's not a leper. He's a Pharisee, and they're far away from the city of Bethany. 
And we aren't told the name of this woman, but we're told that she is a woman from the city. That's how Luke calls her, a woman from the city, a sinner, which has led many to believe that she was a prostitute. Because of this, people started associating Luke's unnamed woman with Mary Magdalene. In Luke's story, a debate begins to break out with the appropriateness of this nefarious woman who touches a holy man like Jesus. If Jesus had known the kind of person she was, he wouldn't have let her do that, they said. And then we get to John's story. John's details are kind of similar to Mark and Matthew, but John is the one who gives us her name. This is Mary, but not Magdalene. Mary of Bethany, Mary, the well-known and respected Mary, who was a leader among the Jews, one of the top main followers. They were wealthy. They helped fund the religious system. They were well-known. Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Mary, who said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You remember from last week that Mary. And here we are. This isn't Simon the leper's house or Simon the Pharisee's house. When John tells the story, we're in Lazarus's house. After Mary anoints Jesus' feet, Judas begins to protest. Judas, the one who's going to betray him, Judas. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? And you can almost feel his haughtiness. But he didn't mean it. Much like our thoughts and prayers after tragedies, Judas is only saying holy words. But there is no meaning behind them. Judas cares nothing for the poor, we're told. He wants the money for himself. He's actually stealing from the common purse. He's literally robbing Peter. He's stealing from Jesus, lining his own pockets. And Jesus responds, leave her alone. She bought this perfume so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. And that's the story. What begins as a meal among friends, scared but hopeful, ends with the stench of death. Thanks for spoiling the party, Mary. So why did she do it? Why did Mary do it? In in those days, if you anointed someone on the head, well, that was a sign of victory. Kings were anointed on the head. The name Messiah literally means the anointed one. But anointing someone's feet, that's a different story. It's not a sign of victory, but a sign of defeat. You don't anoint someone's feet with perfume unless they're dead. Usually a couple days, maybe four days after they've died. This is done to the the deceased as a way of showing reverence, that final act of mercy for your loved one. We may be sitting in hope, hoping that this time too Jesus may walk away unscathed, He will escape from the plots to kill him. But Mary speaks symbolically, but definitively. He's going to die, she says. And she's going to show him his love while she can. He's going to die. Sorry to spoil Holy Week for you. But where are we again? Where are we? Where, Where does John take us this morning? Whose house is this? This is Lazarus's house. You know, Lazarus, the one who just a few days ago was dead, 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 four days dead. He stinketh, as the King James Version says, dead. It was a tragedy. His story ended too soon. Jesus shows up too late, but just on time. Jesus isn't big on predictable endings, and he goes to the tomb of Lazarus, orders it to be open, and tells Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus listens gets up 
and walks out. And then, well, what would you do if you walked out of the grave? You throw a party. Here we are in his home a chapter later. He's throwing a party. And I'm not dead yet, party. Here we are in his house. He's the host at the head of the table. Maybe he's still a little fuzzy from the events of the past few days, but he's there alive. He's eating with his family, passing the peas. His closest friend, Jesus, is there, the one who commanded him to get out of the grave. It's almost as if John has this wink in his eye. Like as the room is filled with this perfume, the scent of death, there they sit, and there's Lazarus. One small detail, perhaps, of Jesus' story that John has not spoiled for us. Because if a dead man can throw an I'm not dead yet party, then maybe, maybe the story's not over yet. Maybe he will overcome someday. Perhaps you feel like your story is over. Like the ending is already predicted. You've been told you're too young or too old. Your script's written. You're not smart enough or good enough. The very things you wish to do are the things you do not do. You give love, but love is never given back. You try, and it seems you always fail. The diagnosis is terminal. The fate is sealed. There's no hope, no plot twist, just a predictable, perhaps even tragic ending. Maybe you look at the world and you're just tired of having your hopes crushed. This time, I'm not getting my hopes up. This is how it always ends. I'm tired of thinking that things will be differently. Tired of holding nothing but thoughts and prayers when change never comes. It never will. But take a look around. Where are we? We're at Lazarus' house. And though the perfume filling the air declares that the one whom we sit with at table will soon be killed. We're at the home of a man who was dead and now lives. Lazarus overcame. Will we too? As we leave this meal, the clouds quickly gather and things begin to happen just as Mary predicted they would. The plot to kill Jesus intensifies later that week. Jesus gathers with his disciples at another table and Judas, Judas finally betrays him. After having his feet washed by Jesus, he steals away in the night and he does it. And they arrest him and they beat him, they crucify him, and they bury him. But then, but then, well, well, I don't want to spoil the ending. Okay. <laughs>